Coming to you from the Strings and Things studio in Ventura, California, this is the Strings Unraveled Book Club. got it right that time <laughs> that was our a couple of takes in our opening opener but I we're know. here so what did we read this month this month we I, we read my choice by Jacqueline Woodson read at the bone and I'll tell you a little bit about it it's about two families from different social classes and they're joined together by an unexpected pregnancy and the child that it produces Moving forward and backward in time, the power of poetry and the emotional richness of a narrative ten times its length, which by that it means it's a very short book, but there's so much story packed into it. Jacqueline Woodson's extraordinary new novel uncovers the role that history and community have played in the experiences, decisions, and the relationships of these families and in the life of this child. So the book opens in 2001, and it's the evening of a 16-year-old Melody's coming-of-age ceremony in her grandparents' Brooklyn Brownstone. Watched lovingly by her relatives and friends, making her entrance into to the soundtrack of Prince, which she fought very hard for. <laughs> she wears a special custom-made dress, including a corset. <laughs> But the evening is not without poignancy, because 16 years earlier, that very dress was measured and sewn for a different wearer, her mother, for her own ceremony, one that ultimately never took place. So this book unfurls the history of Melody's parents and grandparents to show how they arrived at this moment. Woodson considers not just their ambitions and successes, but also the costs, the tolls they've paid for striving to overcome expectations and escape the pull of history. As it explores sexual desire and identity, ambition, gentrification, education, class, and status, and the life-altering facts of parenthood, Red at the Bone most strikingly looks at the ways at which young people must so often make long-lasting decisions about their lives, even before they've begun to figure out who they are and what they want to be. How was that? <laughs> That's a pretty good synopsis. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's a very um, short book. I think the audio book was like a little under four hours. Yeah, I was grateful that you gave us a fair warning of the um, potential emotional weight of this book because mm -hmm. my plan was to wait until we had a given date for our podcast and then devote four hours to listening to it because mm -hmm. which I am that paid off. That was a good plan because it's a great book. Yeah, I enjoyed it, but. Um, like, I don't like this phrase, but I appreciated the trigger warning. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot to unpack. And there's just yeah. so much as it as it 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 reveals its layers. You get to you first you get this perspective of the child to the parent, but you don't. And later you get to hear the parent's story and what brought them to that point and how they came together. And I got a fuller appreciation for why they reacted in different ways. You know, there's times where I was really angry at, at one of them. And then as I got to hear their backstory a little bit more, I still wasn't happy with what they did, but I understood a little better. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about like, sometimes though I, I got it because I was listening to the audiobook along with reading it. And sometimes 
I would get lose track of the reading and just be listening to it. And I would lose track of who was doing the talking. Oh, wait, was this Melody's mom or was this Iris's mom? I or... tried reading it first because I was like, oh, this is short. I'll read it over the weekend. But it was more to focus on. I think, I don't know why the author chose to write it this way, but there are no quotation marks. There's oh. the version, at least I was reading. It was like in italicies when someone was speaking. So it was less clear. It took me a minute to get into like, oh, that means somebody's talking right now. But there isn't a whole lot of he said, she said. So I, I felt it was easy to get lost in the paper and version of it. something I really enjoy, like the narrators of this were yeah stellar every character Mm -hmm. had a different voice actor and they were all great and the bulk of it was read by the author which i always love when Mm -hmm. the author is a good reader um and i don't know if you can like develop i guess you it's duh you can develop fanhoods for the narrators Mm -hmm. um i didn't know i was a fan of her but when the voice of melody was speaking she opens the novel it's Mm -hmm. um, narrated by bonnie turpin Mm. and i love her I, I didn't know that I loved her, uh-huh. <laughs> but her voice is so excellent mm-hmm. and her portrayals are so excellent. As soon as I heard her voice, I'm like, I know you, we, we, we've sat together before. Mm. And, um, I was the, all of them, like Savy, the father, mm-hmm. what was it? Po, po boy. Yeah. Po boy. <laughs> okay. In the audiobook, Aubrey never gets a voice. No, I went no, back he doesn't. and listened to each chapter, how each one started, because the first person narrations are by the character actors, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then the third person are all by Jacqueline Woodson. And Aubrey never, ever gets a voice. Aubrey never tells Iris. his story. Every he, his his story is told by others, but mm, he I don't know like he you does. Hear, yeah. We get he? the third person omniscience okay. on him. Like we do a on little Iris. bit, but I felt like I, I, chapter two is all him. I guess mm-hmm. I, I connected more with Savy. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> well, I was sympathetic to Iris. Yeah. She's the least sympathetic character. Right. Um, but yeah. I was most certainly sympathetic to her. Um, I kind of understood her story, though. I understood why. I mean, the attitude at first, the, the traditional attitude is that you know, the girl gets pregnant and she's going to be happy to be a mom and give up her life. And that, and just mom is going to be her life from now on. And she, that's always that she's always going to want to be with this person that she had a child with, even though at 15, it's or six, 15, almost 16, that is just really too young to have to make that kind of choice. And, you know, she, instead of giving up everything, she found a, she was, well, actually, a way was was inspired to her by Aubrey's mom. Yeah, she it's she says there wasn't any option. She knew she was always going to go away to college. So when the baby came along and she was like, OK, great, I have a baby. I'm still going to go to college. The strength of character that takes mm-hmm. is amazing. And the the cost of it is um, is evident in, mm-hmm. in her relationship with Melody. Like. Well, what is what do you think about that? I feel like 
she didn't she made an either or she was not an and she wasn't a student a full-time she wasn't a student a college student and a mom no she She chose to be either or and there's to me there's more strength than having to because i've known people who've had to do the and that is really really hard but she it's almost undoable the and yeah but which is represented by aubrey Aubrey, Aubrey, but he but, chooses to bloom where he's planted. Like he, chooses he does, to be happy with that. but she never appreciates that. And I kind of think she almost dis- she doesn't like him as much because he is satisfied with a thing that makes her dissatisfied. Yeah. I think she wishes she could be like that though. Cause I, yeah. I feel like I remember in part of it when she's talking about how she sort of resents him for the fact that he can be happy with his job and living at her parents' house and, that's enough for him to be happy when it's not enough for her. And her life would be a lot easier if it was. So yeah. I can imagine that she would probably be, would want that, I would think. I think life is just different depending on what you yeah. choose. Like, mm-hmm. like Aubrey's plenty smart. I know that Iris looks down on his intellect a lot, uh-huh. but he's plenty smart when mm-hmm. we do get to see his inner workings, though in a third person. He's, he, he just can find contentment more easily. Yeah. Like, you know. um... Yeah, it doesn't make him less smart for that. He's just easily contented. Yeah, and he's happy where he is. Mm -hmm. But she, um, she she didn't want to belong to this life. Like, she didn't want to belong to him. She didn't Mm -hmm. want to belong to her child. She was done with her parents, like any anyone at that age. Mm-hmm. Like, she just never bloomed into motherhood. But it was still something she well, had to face in her reality. And while she enjoyed having sex with him, I don't think she was in love with him. No, she says so. Yeah. When she finally, that's when she finally gets a voice. I went through every chapter to figure out when she spoke. Mm-hmm. She does not speak in first person until she's talking about jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's when she find like the author finally gives her voice. And I wonder, is that because she discovers herself then? Cause like Sabi is self-assured. Po' boy is self-assured. Melody is self-assured. Like they know themselves. Mm-hmm. And what Aubrey was, what was Aubrey's Iris mom? What was Aubrey's mom's name? Kathy Marie. Or Kathy? Oh, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, she never speaks. No. Except, she never speaks directly. Yeah, she never gets a first person. Point. But she's a character. She's, she's a character. She's a yeah, character. She she's a, a single. Okay, so she's a single mom. She's Aubrey's mom. Um, I get the sense that if she's not white, she's light colored, and she's that, not white. She's, she's not white. She's white, just yeah. just light. But that brings its own issues, and she's very very smart. And Aubrey loves his mother. It was just him and his mom for so long, and um. And she is, even though she knows it's tough road, she is the one who really, I think, motivates Iris to push herself. If she really wanted to go to that college, she needs to not, she needs to stop watching, you know, stop watching soap operas all day when her parents are gone. And just, okay, at some point, though, in the book, did they, so when she, I'm partially confused because I thought at some point when they were, she was pregnant the family picked up and moved yes they, did. they moved out of one neighborhood into a different neighborhood. but they were still close enough to be connected to aubrey aubrey moved with them 
And Aubrey's um, mom too? No, he doesn't move in with them until the baby's born, I think. There's something about him staying over, which that was a little well, confusing. But she mom, still has connect- His mom passes away, but not while she's pregnant. No, yeah, like right no. after. Yes. Well, while she's pregnant, but not when but the baby's Aubrey born, because her his her mom is the one that got her to point, while she was pregnant to keep working on her schoolwork. At some point, she goes into hospice care. Yeah, and that's when Aubrey moves in with yeah the um, family. And I don't so remember she what must the have time been pregnant is. then. Yeah, we don't know if she lives. Like we're not connecting if she lives. But Aubrey starts, you're right, when mom yeah. goes on hospice, that's when, because Aubrey is with, living with them when she's still pregnant. And she is sick when she's tutoring. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this but, difference but she, between Iris's character and Aubrey's character and Aubrey's connectedness to his mother and is like a contrast because Aubrey is being raised by an itinerant single mother, right? Yep. And Melody cannot connect to her itinerant mother right but i okay so iris iris's mother and father both have the are not really connected into how you do it but you you're gonna go to college and you're just gonna do it but the getting down to the grid nitty-gritty of how you get yourself off the couch and work at it because um aubrey's mom is working class she's the one who says no you're not it's not just going to magically happen. You're going to get off your butt and you're going to, this is how you work it. And I will help you. And if I could afford to quit my job and help you all the time, five days a week, this is what I would do. This is how important it is. And you think about it, Kathy, basically Kathy Marie gives her last breath, her last bit of health to the future of her, of a grandchild. She'll never get to see. But Iris doesn't fulfill Melody's future. Like her grandparents are taking care of her future yeah. until we get to breaking open the staircase. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's clearly them tying back to like the tradition of of their ancestors and how to protect themselves in the world together. Mm-hmm. Um, Which brings me to a couple of the questions. If we, but I'm gonna wait till you. Which yeah, you? As a thought dessert away. <laughs> well, that's a really good segment segue. I can get back to the first couple questions, but this one talks about um, the author dedicates the book to the ancestors, a long line of you bending and twisting. How does the story explore the idea of legacy? How does it look at the passing down of regret and loss and trauma and history and also of love and guidance and wisdom and experience? Um, it talks about discussing your own legacies, but I just want us to explore uh, say, what have you inherited in this way from your ancestors? What will be passed to future generations? But let's talk about first about the the book and the connections it makes between the different legacies. Like when Iris first finds out she's pregnant, you know, her mother may not have reacted very well. No. I mean, she hit her. She beat her. <laughs> she beat her. Yeah. But I that think... wasn't clear in the first passing to me. It wasn't it's... clear until Iris is reflecting. Yeah. Yes. But the the clear anger and rage that her it talks about her mother flew into a rage, and I think that has something to do with her, Iris's mother's growing up. What do you guys think? Sabi, I don't think Sabi was treasured. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, outside of whatever the appropriate like corporal punishment of her youth would be, I don't think that's part of it. I just think that. 
Sabie was so ingrained with keeping their family moving forward, which was the spirit her mother ingrained as a survivor of um, Tulsa Massacre, Mm -hmm. that um, her, her actions, Iris's actions, thwart that movement forward. Mm. And she becomes... She's not legacy material. That's what Sabi says. Mm-hmm. She says she's not legacy material. Um, but okay, the Tulsa massacre. The I had not. That's a real thing. I did yeah. not know that our country mm-hmm. took airplanes and bombed our own our own people. I, think I mean, that's a own... really important thing to acknowledge right now. Yeah. Is that I only learned about that a year or two ago myself, mm-hmm. which is they don't teach you in the his, in history in school. Yeah. It's being talked about more widely, more openly, more and more. Um, and it wasn't through studying history that I learned about it. It right. was from uh, that show that's so good, The Watchmen, the mm-hmm. Amazon original Watchmen. That was the first time I really saw that portrayed. And it was shocked me to my core. It sadly, didn't surprise, but shocked me to my core that right. I didn't know about it and that it happened. Um if you guys are not aware, um, I'm just going to read a little quick excerpt. The Tulsa Race Massacre took place on May 31st and June 1st of 1921 when mobs of white residents, many of them deputized and given weapons by city officials, attacked black residents and businesses in the Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, the attack carried out on the ground and from private aircraft destroyed more than 35 blocks of the district and at that time, the wealthiest black community in the United States, known as Black Wall Street, where they literally dropped bombs out of airplanes onto residents' houses. Um, more than 800 people were admitted to the hospital, and as many as 6,000 black residents were interned in large facilities, many of them for several days. But their homes were just destroyed. And I got to tell you, I never heard that growing up in in history never right. and, and any of the, the history too. yeah like, yeah well, i like, mean i was i was seven when i came to california so but still still like that I is think, not something that, that i wonder if seven-year-olds in california know about internment camps like no. just to think about what when do you absorb these hard truths like about middle school yeah <laughs> did they in your middle school did they even talk about the internment um, camps yeah we read yep. um as a homeschooler, we talked about it, but yeah. it wasn't until I was even an adult that I knew that our country no, we, did that, much less bo- allowed people to bomb, you yeah. know. Wow. So part of the story is uh, um, is this, there's the idea that her grandmother survived. That trauma yeah. survives in the bones and it gets passed down and that DNA, it, it affects your DNA and it it can that, that there's the idea that trauma one in is can go from pers- from generation to generation even if the current generation is not currently affected by it it's still part of their history they're still it's part of their legacy that's interesting cuz we finally hear the story title in the chapter when iris is talking about losing jam mhm and I don't remember the full sentence. I just remember hearing it, that she was red to the bone. Yeah. Like, it was like your skin was peeled back and you were, it was like uncovering, um, 
Yeah, I can't remember exactly what the verbiage was. Oh. Because that's interesting because um, then she's setting us up for these visual things regularly then because when they're talking about, we go to um, Melody's school and they're talking about um, what they eat at the lunch table and Mm -hmm. how they eat fried chicken like they'd never be allowed to eat it at home. And Mm -hmm. then they look around at all the other, you know, the white kids who are eating it all the way down to the bone where it's red and not Mm -hmm. cooked. Oh, I didn't connect that. Mm. (laughs) I wonder where else it is that I missed. Yeah, I don't don't know. See, I didn't think it was a white thing. I just thought, because growing up, um, one of the things they also talked about was uh, they were, it's it's a very big, thing in the south and maybe in the midwest who you're all often asked who your people are because who you are is is again about your ancestors you're judged by the people that you raised you and if and i gotta say i never really had an answer for that and that was always kind of embarrassing because i didn't really have people but well, this is a this is the thing that i've thought about a lot in that i as a white woman who is from the background that I'm from, don't have ancestors in the same way that people who are really connected to their culture and heritage do. I'm Irish and German mostly through my blood DNA. I don't have an Irish grandmother who taught me traditions. I don't have a German grandfather who taught me traditions, but in the same way that I'm jealous of people who do have that connection to their ancestry, I also don't carry the burden and the pain that comes associated with yeah. it. So it's a privilege for me not to experience that in one way because I don't carry those connections that, like, Sabi is trying to inflict on Iris and tell her, you know, this is your story too. And Iris tells her, or maybe it's Melody, like, that's, no, this isn't my it, story. It is, this it is, is Sabi. Sabi says, I carry the goneness. Iris carries the goneness. And watching her walk down those stairs, I know now that my grandbaby Melody carries the goneness too. Right. Um, and it talks about how does this goneness affect their lives and relationships with others? Is there an opposite to goneness? And if so, is it achievable for any of the characters? Presence and connection? Yes. Because that's what... I think Aubrey had presence. He stayed connected. He... Mm-hmm. You know the tie that binds. Yeah, yeah. and Sadie said she would not leave the earth until Iris and Melody could right. connect. We're, and yeah. then we close on, you know, closing down the house after Sadie's funeral. So you'd hope that that means that Iris and Melody can can be together, can yeah. connect. Mm-hmm. Even though Melody's still not in the headspace for that. No, she's like, I gotta go. There's a party I want to go to. Right. You know? but, okay, but Melody always knew there was something weird about that step. Was it Melody, was it Melody or Iris? Or was Melody, it Iris? Yeah, it was it Melody. Was Melody would be like, this one, there's something different here. There must be something under there. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, uh, and now I wonder, though, see, now coming to California, I don't know if it's just a West, in the West Coast, there's not, maybe because people were pioneers and they didn't have, they, they left their mm-hmm. ancestry to come out West. And so... I know maybe that has something to do with the California culture doesn't have that who your people are judgment that is is a very Midwest, Southern, Central, well, West, yeah, Western, carry, Eastern part of the. I mean, I think it's interesting that you, that Katie, you say you don't have a link to like 
But like you have a sibling to your gra- your grandmother and your aunts, and your family's very. I mean, you're very connected to each other. But what yeah. is ancestors? You know, like how far back do you go? Yeah, like, I don't have a connection to my ancestors in the same most, way. But unless how, you, how unless far you, back is, the only far yeah, back yeah. you okay, the, you can only go as far back as memories you have of actually meeting that person or having stories of that person. Like I can go back to my great grandmother, though she died when my grandmother was 10 only because I have her stories from my grandmother. But I also know that in some parts of the United States, the question who your who are your people is a very triggering thing because it's, it's, it's not something just like I've learned. You don't ask people, what do you do for a living? What do you do? Because it equates a person's value with who their ancestors are. And it also equates a person's value with their contribution or what they do, their financial status. I did not realize that in some culture, in some parts of America, asking someone what do they, when you don't really know them, what do you do is a triggering thing. Um, so I don't know. That's going off tangent. Tangent. Well, I think that's individual sometimes. Um, cause like, here's why this book was hard for me. So I'm a teen mom. Um, and I am the daughter of a man who was a, uh, raised by a single mother and grandmother mm-hmm. and, a pregnancy out of wedlock. Um, Grandma Tat is one of the worst people to work, walk the planet. So whenever you did something that Grandma Tat did, which is my great grandmother, then you were acting, you, you were taking your life in a, in the wrong path. So Grandma Tat was awful. She raised my grandfather. He had a lot of problems growing up in, in life. And those translated to his parenting of my mother. But every generation's moving away from that choice or that turn of events. And then I turn up pregnant and dropping out of college. So that's why Iris is my girl in this book. Mm -hmm. And like, how far back are your ancestors? Like the trauma that my mom is judging me for that carried through our family for, I'm bringing back up in the fourth generation and that's terrifying to her. And then that's going to define our relationship to this day. Mm-hmm. Like, how far back is your ancestors? What are your familial traumas? And how mm-hmm. do you move forward through them? Like, like it's interesting that you say you don't, like, yeah. that you don't have a connection to ancestors. But don't you, you know? You do, but you have a more positive experience. Well, that's not, that's, well, how far back that's is the thing it? Is I, <laughs> there might have been someone along the line that said, we're not doing this anymore. And mm-hmm. we stopped maybe telling those stories or, you know, perpetuating whatever the trauma is that I don't know. And it might have been lost to, you know, whatever generation. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that my family is great and I never experienced it, but for better or for worse, I'm asking. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't feel connected. Yeah. I mean, not that I don't feel connected to like my, I don't feel like ancestors are, my grandparents or my great grandparents who I knew, I think of them as like farther back pillars of my family who mm-hmm. um, came to America or moved out West. And like, those are the s- stories and the people I don't have a connection to anymore mm-hmm. for whatever. True. Reason. But like, 
but it, I think Is just it, like we have ancestors that we don't have personal connection to, but they still had some effect on our lives in that they, the way the decisions that they made affected generations. Yeah. I think of a couple different things. Um, I think about the Bible when it talks about the sins of father go on, I, it, you know, and I always, I never understood that. I thought, well, that's not really fair to oppose the, the, the decisions that a father makes upon the children, but it kind of happens whether mm-hmm. it be good choices mm-hmm. or if it make is trauma, it takes several generations. We talk about, it takes several generations to work through and beyond mm-hmm. some of these, whatever decisions are made. Yeah. But it also makes me think of, um, I think of like uh, Leila Fassad and she has a great podcast called the good ancestor podcast. And the thing is, the you're, idea is you're somebody's. Yeah. We are we are yeah. some we are somebody's ancestor, and it's the choices we make. We want to make sure that the choices and the legacies that we are creating for future generations are yeah. beneficial to those generations. So yeah, um, I I mean yeah. I I can you, think of a specific I can think of a specific example of an ancestor who I know who is alive. A, a member of my family who did say we're not doing this anymore mm-hmm. or I'm not going to be like that anymore mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And for whatever reason, I don't know the stories from that half of my family that mm-hmm. well for a, probably a good reason, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know? So it's, it's interesting the way that like that the lessons can be passed down and the cycles broken the cycles broken but also yeah. you still learn from it whether experiencing it or not because i know for whatever reason it was important not to yeah there's a lot of things that i have to remind myself not behaviors that were learned as a child that i have to consciously make a choice that i am not going to do that mm-hmm. with my kids um, my mother was a horrible person and not just me as a person saying that, but legally <laughs> she was a horrible person and there are behaviors that she did that I had to consciously and continuously sometimes have to say, I am not going to do that. She would never apologize for anything. She would never admit that she was wrong, that she made, that she, you know, that anything she did was ever wrong. Mm-hmm. And it is painful to have to tell your kids sometimes, wow, I really screwed up. I am sorry. That is not how I should have been. And that is not how I want you to be. But I'm not, you... I'm not going to be, I'm trying not to be that way. But while I am consciously working through this, be aware that I am aware that this behavior that I am exhibiting uh-huh. is not respectful do and you, it's not how I want you to, you I want you to be... your children from the reason and the experiences that you've had no. in doing that? Or do you tell them? I don't, sh- I don't shelter them. They need to know. I don't, I know I wait till they're older. Sure. <laughs> when they're five, I'm not going to say my, your grandmother yeah, was a no, blah, no, blah, no. blah, 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 beep. No, but <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, no, but, but they're learning why Yeah. you are I mean, teaching them the, the uh, way that they are. Yeah. Whereas I yeah. might have been the one that was sheltered from the reasons why, I, it's just interesting. You know what? Because darkness only darkness continues if dark if light is not shed to it. There are okay, be there are behaviors in my family <laughs> that if they weren't discussed and put out into the open would be would continue. Yeah. 
if and as when you bring things to the light i mean there was a time where i you couldn't tell it now but i had an eating disorder and and i'm still working through body phobia because of behaviors that my family had and how they used food to keep themselves from moving forward in life. Um, food was their excuse not to change their behavior was, it was food became an ill, gave them, made them ill sometimes. And they could use that illness as an excuse not to change how they were. Mm -hmm. And so by not talking, I saw what happened with my family by not talking about things, things get perpetuated the, until you declare what that is, mm -hmm. it can, it can stay in the shadows and, and have its own life, but it is hard to, for it to have life if it's brought out, out yeah. in the open and it's this ugly thing. And it's like, well, now we're going to talk about this ugly thing and, it, and it, no one wants an ugly thing in the room. So let's talk about it and get rid of it. Okay. Kathy Marie is mm -hmm. a cycle breaker. Yeah. So yep. she does it for Iris. Mm -hmm. She does it for Aubrey. Mm -hmm. Like she talks about things she doesn't want to talk about. She's not going to dwell in them. Right. <laughs> when she tells him about his father. Yeah. She's yeah, he, like, his, Here's your the father thing. wasn't a special friend. Yeah. So he knows that there were quote special friends. Yeah. But her father was not one of those. So he knows. And we know that Kathy Marie was in, in the system mm -hmm. and, but she's a highly educated woman. Yeah. She mm -hmm. was getting her doctorate, mm -hmm. right? Something yeah. Like that. Um, I mean, it didn't, it didn't end up giving her the financial benefits it should have. You know, right. I, I hate to hear when highly educated people don't realize financial potential there for whatever happens in their life. It was really but important Aubrey for her lives not a better life. Yeah. Right. And she keeps her experience of life and what she's willing to give of herself keep Iris from you know, repeating what, mm -hmm. what Kathy Marie lived. Yeah. Um, even though they're not in the same, I mean, they end up being connected because of the child, but like, but what a special gift that she gives to Iris yeah. in recognizing that she, that Iris, this isn't what Iris either wants or needs, mm -hmm. you know, she didn't want to be a mother. No. Nope. And yeah, she, she didn't she know gives that... a tough love to her. Also, she does it lovingly, but still tough. But what I'm saying yeah. is that she, almost to the sake of her own son gives Iris this gift of being able to go to college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She could have easily been like, well, you're pregnant now you stay home and you're going to take care of my grandbaby. But she's mm -hmm. like, I could tell that that's not the sort of person that you want to be. And I don't want you to be that person. Yeah. And gives her the opportunity to better herself to the detriment of so as far their as own I, little family. As but... far as I know, as far as I could tell, I don't think Sadie and Kathy Marie ever met. But do you think, think Sabi so. ever has any recognition say. for the gift that Kathy Marie gave to her daughter? Because her attitude Off was, screen. you will just go to college. But it's like, no, while y'all were at work, she was just I don't watching. She would she would have had to go to summer school and she may or may not have gone to college. Sabi's always doing her best. Yeah, I don't think I you're giving Sabi yeah. enough credit in that okay. she told the nuns at her school my daughter's not going to repeat a year. We're going to finish it. And I think that's true. that that's true. She gave her the resources to do so, but mm -hmm. being a 16 year old girl, she's lazy, you know, mm -hmm. she didn't want to do it. And she didn't have anybody looking over her. I think if her mom knew that she would have done the same thing for her. That's I don't true. think her mom no, would have right, let her right. be 
eventually lazy her- if she had known that's what she was doing. You're right. Her mother would have found out you're not doing this. Okay. So this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Now. She would have helped her. <laughs> if I, if we have to go to summer school, I will sit here and make sure it gets done. You're right. Yeah, she doesn't seem like the sort of person that would let her daughter just slack off. Yeah. yeah. But she's also working two jobs. Yeah. Yeah. To support and, the baby. Yeah. 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 And the new house that they bought to better their life, to get mm-hmm. them out of their old neighborhood. And mm-hmm. which is really interesting because yes, it, they seem affluent, but they're affluent because they're working their butts off. They're yeah, working yeah. really hard to Stripping be in and saving and yeah. Um, wow, we cover so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't really. Uh, okay, this is interesting. Discuss the use of musical references in the novel. I don't remember these. <laughs> oh, I love that. How does they... "Darling Nikki" shape our impression of Melody in the first chapter, and how does music aid in telling the stories of the other characters and their respective generations? They give us good little Sabian Pobo of references yeah. as Sliprock and Kathy Marie as like time markers. Right, they place us in time. Yeah, because I was sort of like, like I didn't understand this was a nine. 11 book until until it was the end. yeah uh, <laughs> because even when she's talking about being I at the lunch table and then. seeing it and screaming yeah that it was her dad like i didn't my get father. that it was her i didn't either it. i just father. thought it was a like putting this us a in thing this moment which i thought my so God, too. every time you take me back to that moment and in that moment but... i felt i felt guilty that i didn't grasp it at that moment that it was her father. No, because it's so wait, like, wait, wait, wait. soul tearing. Wait, right. whose father it. died then? It Aubrey is. Aubrey died, died in 9-11. Melody is telling that is telling day. That day. Oh. And it's part of the lunch table. And, and that makes sense that... be- because I kept thinking, she's at school. She's at school at New York. This thing happened in New York a few blocks. I kept thinking yeah. it was Iris yelling, finally getting it an appreciation. Well, okay, the, I'm pushing through people trying to get there. That is Iris. That is Iris. Yeah. Yes. And so that's... Melody watched it happen. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, just watching oh. that happen was so soul-wrenching. Like, yeah. To the know poor... your dad is in the building. I know we've heard that story maybe many times Because he worked but... in the mailroom in... At the, the law firm at in At the New law York. firm in yep. New York. Oh. Yeah. It was... It was gut-wrenching was... to listen to because the voice acting was so incredible. Oh, oh yeah. That it made me want to, not that I wanted to go back and listen to it again because it was hard <laughs> to listen to in the first place, but then, you know, and a half an hour later when I realized that it was Aubrey, I was like, oh, that probably would have been even harder to listen to <laughs> if, you knew it was if I knew it was Aubrey. Yeah. <laughs> she sort of frames it as like, we're saying this yes. and it's my dad, it's my uncle, it's yes. my aunt, it's my yes. grandma. And it's then I'm like, oh, father. it's my father. Right? Okay. So that must have been <laughs> no. very artistically purposeful. Yes. Thank you, Jacqueline Woodson, for crafting such beautiful prose. And by the time that happened. She took us on the journey she wanted to oh, take yeah. us on. Yeah, she certainly <laughs> The only ones left are Iris and Melody. Mm-hmm. Because Sabie's gone. Po' Boy's gone. That's the natural force of it. That's yeah. what I was saying to myself yeah. as I listened. And I'm like, <laughs> Sabie died. Okay. I mean, she was old. I know. <laughs> she was 40 when she had iris yeah 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 okay. okay so here's before we wrap that up it was just throw a couple more questions mm-hmm. or what are we doing on time we're fine oh good so let i want to revisit something when aubrey bring first brings iris to his house he mm. kind of feels a shame about his mother and his way of life that he never experienced before he didn't know to be ashamed 
until yeah. he brought Iris and she he saw how she was looking at their stuff. Consider the different ways in which Aubrey and Iris's class differences manifest within their relationship. How do those differences affect the relationships as teenagers, as adults? Um, how do other characters in the novel grapple with their class? Um, it was just really interesting because I grew up being told, oh, there's no class system. <laughs> I'm sorry, the hell there is. <laughs> there is class system. Mm-hmm. Complete class. Uh, yeah. So anyway. Um, yeah, he doesn't feel bad about his life and his apartment and his mom and his whatever because that's what he knows and it's the neighborhood that he comes from Mm -hmm. so i'm guessing that probably his friends and neighbors families and lifestyles looked similar to his that when iris comes along she's kind of a she's not very nice and she says things like oh you eat margarine you know that's not real butter like (laughs) rude things that is like he probably didn't. I mean, he he doesn't care. Well, he, he tells talks her about being hungry all the time, right? Yeah, boy. And then he, at some point, he realizes when Aubrey's gonna or not Aubrey, um, Iris is gonna come over again, and he's cleaning. And his mom says, "We don't. I'm uh, no son of mine is gonna scrub the floors." And he's like, "Okay." Like <laughs> he wants to present his life as a neater version, so that Iris maybe would respect him a little bit more. But his mom's like, mm, "You're better than that." But yeah, it's but interesting. If your floor needs to be cleaned, <laughs> sure. But I think maybe it was clean enough, and he was feeling you shame from you, you change a thing by observing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So once he observed, like really, like stepped out and looked at his life, it changed. And it went changed. to Iris's house and yeah. saw how she lived, and was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it was sad. And I think Iris learns. <laughs> at some point the the wrongness of her ways because she's you know eating bologna sandwiches with uh aubrey's mom and she's over at their place while she's working on her school and she's she spends a lot more time and be and and gets to love her for who she is so Mm -hmm. i think she probably i would assume felt bad for i imagine she the judgment but did she because she's still like wanted to have be in that separate life of mm-hmm. like yeah she always feels better yeah then yeah she doesn't want to she doesn't want to live with aubrey no you know she thinks she's better than that she's she reaches up aubrey is content yeah she and she has a different feel for her life and her life really is not one that aubrey fits in mm-hmm I mean, as she goes to college Which, and she discovers who, the boy you more were about. At 15, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, is you know, like, <laughs> I, 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 and, I relate to Iris in that. I mean, I don't want to have a baby. I'm an, I'm 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 33 years old. But if I had been stuck with my boyfriend that I had when I was 16, oh, my boyfriend I also really would nice. not have yeah. wanted to no. to live that life. Mm, so. That boyfriend was very nice. That wouldn't have been. That I mean, bad. I w- I liked him at the time, <laughs> but no, but, nice <laughs> but I realized that okay, so she has this rela- this lesbian relationship with James mm-hmm. with Jam Jameson, and I feel like that is, and she felt more herself, and she didn't even know that that's, that's how voice, she felt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She got to feel more herself, and she would not. But she's not her. She's but not she's being not, herself. No, she's still being two different lives because she's showing. 
jam the version of herself that she wants to mm-hmm. until she has to break it down and say, oh, no, that's not my sister. That's my daughter. And my she's daughter like, who's now three years old and I'm still and I'm still nursing yeah, at three years old, to, which is not, she's uh, not that's not a judgment anymore. No, she's, she's still lactating. She's still mm-hmm. lactating. That's interesting. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. I was like slightly jealous because I never could go. I couldn't I could barely go a year with putting a ton of work into it. And I've always been a little jealous with people that are like, oh, and, and I can't Iris hold it who, back in. I'm like, oh, I wish I had that much. But it's so interesting because it's you. I mean, you can you can will yourself to lactate. You know? No, yes, no. you can. Not no, not like someone who's having trouble breastfeeding. Okay. I got excited as I got closer. I I those of you I'm just saying for who had who didn't have to. I'm telling you as someone, I worked super hard. Sorry, I'm sorry. True. That wasn't I'm fair. Just saying, sorry. Physiologically, people can. Choose lactation. I'm not saying it's me. I'm saying that some bodies can, some bodies can't. I'm telling you how hard I chose, and my body wouldn't do it. The psychology of someone who is still able to lactate, who doesn't want motherhood, she, I mean, they go into depth of like, this is her connection to to Melody. But that she is separate from her daughter mm-hmm. and she is still lactating. Like, this, I, was, I want to dig it, into it, that. Yeah, it kind of threw me off at first because I thought, oh, she's newly at college. No, she's got no. pictures of her daughter as a three and four she and is five a year old. time mm-hmm. student. She doesn't go home for Thanksgiving. No. no. That's when she gets that picture of her. So is she like she's not running home all the so time? <laughs> how's her body still doing this? That's because the question. there is. I'm not saying for every human being. There Some of them are, yeah. Documentation that you can either hormonally trick your body into lactating, whether or not you've been pregnant, or you can psychologically, like I would tease Kevin. So I'm trying to figure, what is she getting out of it? Well, that she's is not con- doing it consciously. No, consciously. She no. doesn't want it to happen. Yes. <laughs> she, but it's, how does it's her to the detriment tri- of the thing she wants right like but i'm not understanding how psychologically she can will that to happen it's it's not even perhaps willed it, like what is it that her brain keeps her body lactating like what is this emotional thing what is a psychological thing because mm-hmm. she has pictures of her daughter but i never get the sense that she has motherly feelings towards her Which daughter. Explicitly, she does not. Right. She explicitly says that the lactating was the only thing she could do to try to connect to her, like nursing her, that is, was the only thing she could do to maintain connection. Like maybe that's her body's tether to her daughter. Yeah, I don't know. It's strange. Yeah. Because it's, she says it's so she knew she was pregnant. <laughs> But she didn't know that at the end of pregnancy was motherhood. And so. Melody's like, well, no, duh. Yeah. Of course it is. And she's like, well, not no, duh, because I wasn't ready to be a mother. So. Yeah. Because yeah. they are. Yeah. <laughs> There's pregnancy. And yeah, motherhood yeah, is a whole nother things. thing. It's like. Let's... For me, it's the same reason that. Well, you should. Pets. When you talk about pets. You know. Yeah. They're great when they're puppies, but they grow up to be dogs. Right. And children, I knew people that love being pregnant and Ugh. they just loved having babies. And it's like, yeah, oh, I love but babies, you've got but the whole like rest pregnant. of the life of that person that you've created. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the babies. It's about the rest of the future of that, 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 that wonderful 
person that you've that you've made. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, I just as someone who struggled so hard to keep being able to nourish my child to the point that my child was losing weight and I had to stop because I was not enough. And my child was starving <laughs> that I mean, uh, and I worked so hard. And so someone who doesn't even try and their body just does it is just like and she almost doesn't want it per se almost doesn't but and she doesn't want motherhood but her body holds on to this yeah she still wants to have a connection with iris i Mm -hmm. think i don't Mm -hmm. think she wants to cut them out of her life entirely she wants it both ways because she won't let aubrey go totally Mm -hmm. wants her cake to eat it too right she won't let aubrey go she's you know she's gonna come back to him because he she knows he's gonna wait for her but she also wants to go and run off and do this other thing so she doesn't want to be Iris's mother, but she still wants to be able to be able to have a connection with her in a motherly way, whatever that means for her, because it's it's and not I the same. While it's not drunk dialing, <laughs> emotionally she still high dials, you know, Aubrey yeah. when she wants to just it, it's it's sometimes self, a lot of, maybe it's kind of self serving because yeah she. You know, she doesn't want to be with Audrey, but she, Aubrey, but she wants Aubrey there when she wants him, when she needs him. Right. So. Well. Anyway. Emotional lack of, like her emotional stuntedness. Yeah. Because she is a child, you know. Yes. They, yeah. The whole like passes for my sister thing. She is three years older than my sister is to me. Mm-hmm. Than she is to her daughter. Like. Yeah. It could very easily be her. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Do you think that maybe, no, I was going to say, it, it, it's not that she grew up fast, because I don't, or did you think some of it was stunted? You can have a social retardation of stopping where you were developing. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I know I've dealt with that in my own psyche. Like, I, some things I'm still a 19 year old in my head at mm-hmm. 39 years old because I didn't have that growth forward and instead turned to parenting. Um, I also think that like, though it was necessary that staying in your parents' house Uh and them letting you let them raise your child Mm -hmm. is also going to stump that growth. I think that's very true. Like, Melody by design became a, another child of Sabi and Pooboy. Right. Yeah. Though Aubrey was there parenting as well. Like that's the co-parenting thing. Like the design of Melody's growing up situation. Like maybe they, maybe they never had a, the ch- a fighting chance. No. You know? I don't know. Yeah. It might that that could be very well could very well be true. I know my sister in law has a, her youngest sister um, has eight children, none of which she had to raise except the last two, because her grandparent, you know, she would get pregnant and go off and have a life mm-hmm. and drop the kids off with the grandparents and then go off and have her life and get pregnant again and just keep dropping the kids off at the grandparents and the grandparents just raise them all. Yeah, and it wasn't until she was a little bit older and she and they I don't think they ever told her no because that was part of the problem was they never said no to her at all <laughs> um but yeah it was imagine eight kids and you never had to raise any of them yourself I think it, there's there's 
definitely a disconnect in can i just keep them till they're two <laughs> yeah no no, that's not it was just okay. okay. It was just a strange thing. We were at my brother and sister in law's wedding, and we were at the family afterwards. And um, the teen, the older teen, she had teenagers, and then the three year old would um, stop playing his video game, crawl up under her shirt, nurse a little bit, and go back to his video game. <laughs> and it was just, it was just weird for those of us who were not used to it. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. And that's just Karen being judgy. <laughs> well, I am an INTJ heavy heavy emphasis on the J. I'm a P. I know it shocks everyone that I'm perceiving, not judging. What? Yeah. Every time I take the I test, think I do not get a J. You're a I get P, a P slash J. No, I'm very strongly in the perceiving category. <laughs> so what appears like judging is I'm just enough. You're just perceiving, perceiving it. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know what I am. It's the whatever. It's the whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, so that was Bread to the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. Yep. Overall, I think we... I I have... Uh, I have mixed feelings about it because mm-hmm. I I thought it was beautiful and her, the yes. prose was beautiful. Yes. I think to the detriment of the book is it's too short. Not that I wanted it to be a lot longer at the time, but it doesn't seem like the sort of story that's going to stick with me for very long. Whereas some books that I've read, I can recall back on. And then some books I think about like, oh yeah, I read that. Oh yeah, that's what happened in that book. But it takes me a minute. And I feel like because this book was so short and I consumed it so quickly, not intentionally, that it's not going to stick around for as long as I as other books have. But that's might just be how my brain works. I thought it was great and I enjoyed it. Right. But I, I did I thought it was beautiful, beautifully written, beautiful journey. But I did not enjoy this book. Mm. <laughs> I, I have a lot like, to say about it, but I, I, I would not like to take this journey again. Yeah. I, I think I, it I would like been to be longer, but I don't books, want though. I didn't yeah. want the story to be any longer. Right. But, but to me, it was a, a sad story upon sad story upon... It's like tragedy, yeah. tragedy, tragedy. I would have liked to see some happy spots, some joy somewhere, but a little bit like more a often. realistic family? You know, it's not always, you know... I don't know, I think Poeboy and Sabi, like, Pillboy they had Sabi. a they balance had... of extreme tragedy, losing uh-huh. a child, and then the one child you have extremely disappointing you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, Poeboy's talking about the baby. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was mm, the that most was... beautiful part of the book, mm-hmm. I think. Because it's so honest of, like, yeah. him sharing his disappointments and yet his joys. Yeah. Like, um... Yeah, he's disappointed in his, that his daughter had this baby, but he's not going to trade that baby for anything in the world. Mm-mm. Nope. So yeah. there was a joyful spot. I just thought there was a lot of trauma, and it is realistic, but it would have been nice to have an Aubrey. Aubrey found joy mm-hmm. in things. It seems like the men in the stories found more joy. Yeah, but it was more of a the story of the of the females and the, the mothers and daughters it, it was about it was iris very much it about was about and yeah because yeah. not that i don't think that those because we did hear a little bit about um aubrey growing up and uh you know his family and stuff but it, i think if the book had been more focused on 
them, they could have had just as many stories to tell. You're right. You never really heard the impact about the fathers. Clearly, Aubrey didn't have a father. But Poe Boy, you didn't really hear from Iris's perspective the appreciation that she had for her father, unless yeah. I missed it. No, I think but, Anne's right. I think it's just more but of I a definitely story want of to read more. I would read. I definitely am, want to look into more books by Jacqueline Woodson because mm-hmm. her storytelling beautiful. is yes. so beautiful. Very poetic. It and po- poetry actually is something about. There was something about that it, that they each had their own poetry. <laughs> throughout <laughs> they wanted her to recite um, a poem uh-huh. and the parents were like no she's gonna do a rap yeah <laughs> and nobody said okay to that <laughs> that's where it's like i couldn't it was such a contemporary story like uh-huh. it could be now but then and yet it's really a story about tw- someone 20 years ago you know right i forgot so i love the story about uh of melody and malcolm and malcolm's re- friendship one oh yeah i and I'm going to call this out one because I was trying to always keep placing the time mm-hmm. frame um, in Poe Boy's story of loving his granddaughter. He says something about hearing the song of Elmo's world. Yes. And I had to look that up because Sesame Street was dismantled in the late 90s and early 2000s when my son was little. So he was not a Sesame Street kid. He was like a Disney Channel kid. Elmo's World is 1996. And that would make her like, if she's 16 in 2001, she was mm. not watching Elmo's World as a four year old. It's mm. my one. Mm. <laughs> my one. <laughs> yeah. Fact check. <laughs> because because every time she brought something from our like entertainment that I could connect uh-huh. to, it put you so much in time and place. Yes, mm-hmm. and that one was like, mm, nope, nope, huh? Because it was a part of regular regular Sesame Elmo Street. was mm-hmm. just not Elmo's, Elmo's world. World, I don't think it was an earlier segment in in Sesame Street. It, yeah, because uh, she would have been born in eighty five. Mm-hmm. And Elmo's oh, no. world was ninety six. Yeah, yeah. My... I'm not even sure Elmo was part of Sesame Street in 1985. That's right. So 89. Yeah. Let's see. When did Elmo Elmo was post Cabbage Patch Kids. Oh, I mean, yeah. I remember. Well, that's 1985. I remember. Yeah. Elmo's oh, I got. World. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little old for Elmo, but yeah. I remember it. When did Elmo come on Sesame Street? Oh, 1980. Okay. Maybe and he maybe, his own but wait, wait, maybe he but, did have but a this, segment, but when I Googled when did Elmo's World start, El, uh, it was he had his own show. So, but it, yeah, Elmo's World. World. Yeah, that's the song <laughs> yeah. the Poe Boy is reflecting there, on. There was Elmo's another song, World. too, that I wondered if it was a reference that Elmo's I didn't got the get. music. Elmo's got the... That's Elmo's World. Yeah, <laughs> one of yours is the same age as one of mine. Yep. <laughs> My oldest is born ninety two, so there you go. Hold on, I'm gonna. What stop. was the other song? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what that what the other song was, but um, well, okay. So, um, do we know what our next book is? Yes. So it's my pick. Um, Woo-hoo! so this is you are currently listening to our April episode. So the next book we read will be released in the middle of May, and May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And with um, the current news and, you know, 
current events around the Asian American community in America and um, the current conversation that's going on, I wanted to pick a book that was authored by an Asian American writer or author. Um, So I have two choices for us, and I'm going to play You Guys Get to Pick. Okay. Um, So what I did is I went to our local bookstore, Timber Books, and I looked around and I picked up two books, which I didn't realize at the time that they fit in my theme. They were just both books that I, that looked interesting that I wanted to read. Lucky. <laughs> um, That's why you told me not to look at that sh- books on the shelf. So yeah. one of them is a, stop looking at that book, Karen. Yeah, I was like, don't look. One of them is a modern classic, which you might have already read before. I don't know. Right. Um, the other one is new. So we can choose between the joy luck club by Amy Tan. I've I only have, ever seen the movie, not read I the have book, read it, but it was like in high school. It's an older, it's a modern classic, but so, it's from okay. 90 What's something. our other choice? So the other one I... is called... That's a book that made me want to learn Mahjong. <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. <laughs> Still haven't done it. Um, the oh, other one is called we'll Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kawai Strong Washburn, who is a um, Hawaiian author. So mm. we have a Chinese author or a Hawaiian author. So this Joy Luck Club is about the experience of um, Chinese Mothers American immigrants, immigrants and um, the Sharks in the Time of Saviors is about sort of a modern take on Hawaiian um, gods and legends and stuff like that. Um, okay, 10 hours and 38 minutes. For one of them's the like nine States. hours. One of them's 10 hours. So they're okay. comparable-ish. Comparable. Right. So let's question our rule of shouldn't have read it before. I mean, it's been I mean, so I'm long. not com- I'm not familiar with the story because I've not seen the movie. Wow. But if and you it's are, been t- it's been two decades, so I don't. Re- I only remember like one or two scenes, and even then, it so they had dealt with mahjong. I'm gonna refrain from voting. No, don't make me the. So this is from 1989. Is when Joy Luck Club was originally published. So it's they both older. Look good. I mean, which one are you more excited about? I know I could have just picked one, but I'm making it hard I know. for us. It's fun. It's just, this is good radio. I think Do you want me say. to tell you the synopsis of both yes, of them? Yes, please. Okay. okay. Yes, please. So the Joy Luck Club says, In 1949, four Chinese women, recent immigrants to San Francisco, begin meeting to eat dim sum, play mahjong, and talk. United in shared unspeakable loss and hope, they call themselves the Joy Luck Club. With wit and sensitivity, Amy Tan's debut mo- novel... Now widely regarded as a modern classic, examines the sometimes painful, often tender, and always deep connection between these four women and their American-born daughters. Um, Sharks in the Time of Saviors says in 1995, off the co- off the coast of uh, Kalua Kona, Hawaii, seven-year-old Nia Noah Flores falls overboard into the Pacific Ocean. When a shiver of sharks appears in the water, everyone fears the worst, but Noah is gingerly delivered to his mother in the jaws of a shark, making his story the stuff of legends. Nia Noah's family, struggling amid the collapse of the sugarcane industry, hails his response, his rescue, as a sign of favor from ancient Hawaiian gods, a belief that appears validated after Noah exhibits puzzling new abilities, but as time passes... The supposed divine favor drives the family apart and the Flores siblings end up scattered across the mainland. When supernatural events revisit the Flores' household in Hawaii, they are forced to reckon with the bonds of family, the meanings of heritage, and the loss of survival. So, two very different stories. That didn't help at all. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I, was, I will say I was pulling for the Joy Luck Club 
personally. But if you have both read it or know she it. Has, she hasn't read it. She just saw the movie. I, I only saw the movie. And that's not the same as knowing the story. So we so can also th- buck our tradition if you want to read it. Right. Then we can read it. Yeah. Like. <laughs> At some point, how like it's like I didn't read it. Yeah. I'm kind of pulling so towards Joy Luck Club. Let's do Joy okay, Luck Club. Okay, so we're going to read the Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. And maybe if I have time, I will read this and give you my... Uh, yeah, sure. Or that I'll save it for great. another one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it might come back again. Yeah. Okay, forget yeah. I talked about yeah. it. Okay, Eraser so um, if you haven't already read it, then read it <laughs> or reread it. Because it's a classic that a lot of you have probably read or seen yes. the movie. Do we usually ask if there's anything else that we've read that we recommend? Yes, yeah. we do. We usually ask. That. Now okay. is the time. Now is the time. Also talking about Asian American Pacific Islander. I have been reading. I just finished a great book and I um, ca- called Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. And it is about. Hold on. Let me go to the about this book. Um, it's. And it is true. It's a ruthlessly honest, emotionally charged, and utterly original exploration of American, Asian American consciousness and the struggle to be human. And it is about what it is like to grow up as an Asian, um, born born here and raised here in America, and the expectations and how they are treated. It's it's very eye opening. It was to hear a first person experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's there's a whole lot of it just goes a range of emotions but um ruthlessly honest emotionally charged absolutely and sometimes sometimes funny yeah <laughs> but um i really appreciated kathy hong's park hong's um sharing of her story um well i am going to make one recommendation and then share a read Oh, I guess, so I guess it's two recommendations. Okay. The Underground Railroad by Col- by um, Colson Whitehead is um, read by... Um, oh, hold on. <laughs> Colson Whitehead. He also wrote... Is it the Nickelback Boys or the... I'll look at it. Anyway. The Underground Railroad is an amazing book. Um, you should absolutely listen to it but it's narrated by bonnie turpin oh and mm-hmm. she was the voice of melody in the book mm-hmm. that we just read and she is just so good uh-huh. um and she her voice will just work its way into your psychic memory oh i'm sorry it's the nickel boys so i could be wrong but he's won two pulitzer prizes no he won a pulitzer prize for the nickel boys and um and then the Underground Railroad is, is highly critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I took me about a month and a half, but I got through um, Malcolm X's autobiography is told to Alex Haley. If mm-hmm. you have not read this or listened to this, please do it. <laughs> it's as a read, real amazing as read by journey. who? It's read by Lawrence Fishburne, and mm. it is oh awesome fantastic um it's it's an autobiography by malcolm x and alex haley so malcolm x told his life story to alex haley got it who's the author of roots and other great books mm-hmm. oh, yeah. um it's just i'm i i'm feel stupid for not having this book in my repertoire in mm-hmm. the past um so definitely read or listen to it okay it had a different effect on me than i expected 
Interesting. Um, go have your own experience of it. <laughs> but can I ask you guys for a recommendation? Because I need a, this, like I said, Jacqueline Woodson, beautiful book. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Loved it in the sense that it was a beautiful literary uh-huh. journey. I need a palate cleanser. So I was going to say, I usually don't have anything to recommend because I don't have the time <laughs> or get to read between the books I finished, except I have been reading. Um, we've been like going camping and stuff. So I like like really light and fluffy things in between like the heavier picks that we have for the podcast. So I might have mentioned Jasmine Guillory before, but she writes like modern romance novels. So if you like romance, they can be a little bit racy. So like, don't judge me because they're a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) but she's a great author and all of her characters are really likable and they all, all of the, all of her novels sort of exist in the same universe. Okay. So, like, the characters from the first one, her, like, best friend or whatever is the main character in the other one. And they'll sort of come in and out of each other's stories. So, so would you recommend start with yes. her first Yes. So, start novel? with <laughs> The Wedding Date, I think, right. is the first one. And then I read The Proposal. And I'm currently working on The Wedding Party or Party of Two, something like that. Um, but if you need something light and fun to read. Say again, The Wedding... The Wedding... No, the first one is The Wedding Date, Jasmine Guillory. She's also really good at writing food. Like, they'll, you know, the way she describes food and, like, they're always eating these delicious things and this person's a chef and they're cooking this and it makes me hungry. So (laughs) she's good at writing food, too. (laughs) All right. I like that. Okay. I'm I'm actually not much in the genre of romance, but... Mm -hmm. well, I'm going to take your recommendation. Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies is always a great book. True. If you know, you I have that, and I've never <gasps> cracked you it. Except to see it. that the first page is a truth universally accepted is that, like, zombies will knock down your door. Whatever <laughs> the first page. Okay, okay. Like, it's immediate, immediately so, integrated. <laughs> yeah, see, that, that combines romance novel with sci-fi. So you would totally love that. One thing that I'm enjoying is The Shadow and Bone. It's the first book, book one of the trilogy, and it's it's a Grisha verse. It's I, they're going. It's going to be a Netflix original series later mm. this month, and it's just your soldier summoner saint orphan, you know, with secret power that she didn't know, kind of kind of strong magnetic attraction to this person who kind of finds her and saves her, but puts her. So it's just a fun young adult kind of mm-hmm. angsty kind of thing that. Um, that I'm thoroughly enjoying. Excellent. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to put both those in my pocket. And, and uh, don't forget you. Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. Because that's, that's like, I, I should that, dig that you out. already have that one. So that's yeah, a good one. Yeah. Um, I will say if you want to pick up a copy of the Joy Luck Club for our next book club, I highly recommend going to Timber Books. And mm-hmm. they are cute as a button, right? Very cute. Um, right next door to a nice little coffee shop. And so if you want to have a really great day, you go to Super Buzzy. Yep. Is it Singing Sun is yes. the name of the coffee shop? Mm-hmm. And then Timber Books all within like two blocks of each mm-hmm. other downtown. What's Singing Sun? Is that like the when I leave Super Buzzy and I'm going back, back toward the high school, I always see the what looks like a little hole in the wall coffee shop that everyone's standing outside and someone's in the door giving yes. them coffee. That's yes. that. That's <gasps> that. And then right oh, next I door is wanted... Timber Books. So that's our okay. new local bookshop. And they can order... Um, books for you if you want a specific one through there. I don't remember what the name of the system is, but they had many copies of this oh, if you wanted I think to pick up a Is there bookshop.org? Yes, yes bookshop.org. Bookshop. Yeah. That's what it is. 
I told him so to do it. So either shop online or go in person. I highly recommend going in person because yeah. it's very cute. Yeah. So wonderful, wonderful chat for a small store. It's a coffee great good? children's section. I didn't, you know, there was a long line and I was out there's of time. There's always a long so line. So I haven't. It makes tried me think it, yet. it must be good because there's always a long line. I would think so. I go back. I go by Super Buzzy in the middle of the day, and it doesn't matter if it's a weekend or a weekday. There's always a line at that coffee shop. Yep. So. Must be good. Okay. Well, okay. we'll see you in one month when we talk about the Joy Luck Club. And Yoo-hoo. I hope you have a great month. I'm excited. And then at the first of the month, we'll have our regular, or the first Monday of the month, we'll have our regular podcast, too. So Woo-hoo. check us out then, too. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.